Tonight, let's get into the Word. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. Uh, it is in the New Testament after 2 Timothy. And uh, we are in a series off and on called The People of Light. And we've talked about self-centeredness, and we've talked about gossiping, we've talked about mean-spiritedness, and basically we're discussing tonight what does it mean to really be a Christian. Once I've gotten the basics of the faith done that Jesus died, He rose again, He's coming back, and then I have received the Holy Spirit in my life, how then should I walk? How then should I act? What should I be like? Because uh, the question that many, I think, non-believers are asking is, does the born-again Jesus experience in your life really change you? And what do most uh, unbelievers think about the Christians they go to school with and the Christians they work with. So, for instance, tonight, if you weren't a Christian, what opinion would you draw from the way you see Christians act in your life? What opinions would you have uh, about the Christians that are around you? For instance, does their faith uh, affect how they were raised and their upbringing? Has it changed some things in their life? Has it uh, changed their viewpoints uh, about things in the world? Uh, if you see a Christian in your workplace or your school or your family, uh, does being a Christian change their attitude? Are they nicer than most people around them? Are they more positive? Are they more uplifting? Uh, does it change the way they live their lives, their activities? And there are so many things that we're born with that, that when, are so innate to us. I think as a Christian, even though we get Jesus in our hearts, there's many things we struggle against because we're in the flesh. We, we were born of the flesh but we're born again in the Spirit. But there are things that, like, man, the way I was raised, the way my mom and dad told me how to, how to act, man, when I, if you saw, not in my house, but if you saw your mom and dad cuss at each other all the time, that's something that you grew up with for years that you're going to have an issue about how to handle anger. Or maybe you grew up in a home where, uh, you know, picking up your room wasn't an issue. You're going to struggle in those areas. You're not going to be a very disordered person. There are things that maybe don't even have to do with right or wrong like that that you never were in a home that, you know, paid your bills on time, and maybe that's something you struggle with now. And so there's a lot of issues as a believer we may go through that don't have to do with, did you believe Jesus died and rose again, and are you saved? There's some things we've got to mature in the faith in and become the people of light. Are you with me tonight? Somebody say amen. amen. Okay, so does being a Christian continually grow and change you? And Christ has called us to be a people of light. However, in Christianity, you're going to find a lot of variety of opinions and divisions. Sometimes, think about Christians and what the world sees. Christians, so many, even like the world, uh, can become some of the most opinionated and disagreeable people on the planet. Amen? Amen. We know those. Maybe we're one of them. It's okay. We're going to talk about it tonight. Uh, for instance, we got religion and churchianity I talk about sometimes. It seems to promote uh, some of the fixed views of self-importance and prejudice. And from these things, from the religions, uh, from religiosity, which you know, builds up my prejudice of my opinion is right, your opinion is wrong, from that comes, Scripture would say, and it doesn't use these words, but we're going to interpret it as some crabby people, some grumpy people, some off-putting people, obnoxious, objectionable, argumentative, hard-headedness, or just plain unfriendly Christians, if you can even call them that, right? Anybody ever been around somebody like that before? Like, you're a Christian, but you don't smile like one, you know, or you don't, you're not as nice as what I would imagine a Christian to be. And so tonight, we're going to talk about abandoning 
arguing. Woo! You ready? Abandoning argumentative Christianity. We're going to talk about being argumentative, or maybe another say is hard-headedness, or bossy, or opinionated. Now we're going to step on some toes. Are you ready? We're going to have some fun, okay? Uh, But I'm just going to read you Titus chapter 3, because I just want to get it from one passage. Titus 3, verses 1 through 11. Christ has called us to be a people of light, and that might mean we've got to leave some of our opinions and disagreeable attitudes and argumentative behavior behind to really represent Jesus Christ, okay? Titus chapter 3, let's just read 1 through 11. Okay, so Paul is writing to his son in the faith, Titus, and he says, I've set you up to set up, I've put you in place to set up a church, and I'm going to tell you how to raise up some leadership, raise up some husbands and wives, here's some qualifications, be aware there's some false teachers that are coming to tear down the church of God, Uh, And he says, but here's what I'm urging you about godly living. Here's what Christians should look like. That when you get done producing this church and building it up, here's what you should expect to see. And here's what I'm telling you to instruct. Are you ready? All right, Titus 3, verse 1. Remind them to be subject to rulers and to authorities and to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one. So that would be scoff or slander. To be peaceable, that's not argumentative, but gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we were also once foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of our God, Savior, and His love for mankind appeared. Don't you love that transition? He saved us not on the deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that, here you go, that transition again, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy statement, and concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who believe God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These are good and profitable for men. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about the law, or we would say religion today, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Even reject a factious man or divisive man after a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. Stop right there. I'm going to give you four things, uh, four things that we're going to take away from this passage, okay? Number one. Avoid quarreling. Number one, avoid quarreling. This is, we're going to talk about just in the world for a second. Avoid being quarrelsome or uh, argumentative in the world. So, you know, we're not like the world uh, and we're not of the world. And the world is argumentative, they're hateful, they're divisive, they're disputing, uh, they're slanderous. Just turn on the news. You're going to see it all in, in, in about five minutes. You'll see all of that in the news. Uh, but we, the Bible says, we are citizens of heaven. And that as we are even on this earth, not being of this world, we are in this world, but we are to walk as if we're bringing heaven down to earth with us. So what we're going to do is while they're involved in political arguments and racism and division, that we're going to begin to apply the principles of our heavenly citizenship on the earth to be salt and light. So Paul here says, he says, be peaceable, gentle, Meek like Jesus, if you would. And meekness, you know what meekness means? Uh, it doesn't mean weakness. We think meekness, we think somebody who's kind of pitiful, let down, and people walk all over him. Meekness 
is the, uh, the best illustration for meekness is a horse that is bridled. Uh, it is uh, uh, power under authority. And that's what it means, that you have the power of that horse, but that reins are given to somebody else. That horse is the same power with or without the bridle on. But whoever has the bridle has the authority to control it. And what he is saying, you give the authority to Jesus Christ. We, we are giving ourselves, our wills, our power, what is inside of us over to God. And so we're giving up our rights on this earth to gain the rights in heaven. So we may disagree with some world's opinions and they may hate us. That's fine. But we're not going to get caught up in it all. Amen? Amen? We're not here to get caught up in all the world's problems. Uh, in chapter 2, verse 9, he even tells slaves. So let's just talk about employees. He says, employees, slaves... Don't be arguing with your bosses or your masters. Don't get caught up in those disputes. Serve him like you serve Jesus. And he says, go on. So, so how do we get along with unholy, ungrateful, disobedient, rebellious people? Maybe you got some in your family. Uh, maybe it's a spouse. Sometimes that happens. Some, maybe it's people at your coworkers. Everyone in this world has an opinion. And uh, I've heard it's like an armpit. You both have two of them and they both stink. You know, like everybody has an opinion. And, 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 and a lot of them are wrong, and it's okay. You're going to find everyone has an opinion. But here's the deal. As Christians, you're not called to give your opinion. You're called to give the Word of God. Amen. We're not called to give our opinion. We are called to give the Word of God. So there's, there's no other thing. Think about every time Jesus spoke. What did He speak? He spoke what he received from his father. They even tried to trap him several times. They said, hey, what do you give? To, uh, who do you give this coin to? This is a, a tax dollar. You know, I need to pay this, but the Bible says give to God first, and Rome says give. He says what? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, right? He avoided a, a religious dispute and a worldly dispute by receiving what his father told him to say. And so uh, think about that every time we get into a worldly argument. We're not called to give opinions. We're called to give the Word of God. And so we are going to direct people to Scripture. Direct them to Scripture. Give them Scripture. Don't give them our opinions. That's one way we're going to get away from a quarreling uh, dispute or argumentative behavior with the world. Simply, the Word of God settles all things. And it's not my opinion. So you don't have to get mad at me. You can talk to God about it. Let's go to God with him right now. Let's just sit down and pray with you, brother. How, I, I know you don't like what the Bible says, but I didn't write it. Amen. I'm just telling you what God says. Yes. You want to go talk with him for a second? Let's go talk with him. He's right here. How would you like to talk to God? I'll help you. And, and just be, that's going to end the argument right there. I guarantee it. Yes. That person wants to keep arguing those political things with you or those economical things or racist things. You just say, hey, let's just go to God right now in prayer, brother. Let's just bow our knees and see what they do. I'm sure they will not keep arguing. All right. So we don't give our opinions. We're given the word of God. But sometimes we come across difficult people. So we want to respond like Jesus. One of the things we have in our church is uh, our values and our signs and our bulletins. It says grace, love and truth. We're going to accept people in grace. We're going to sacrifice for them in love. And we're going to speak the truth of God to them. You think about Jesus. He never had an attitude of superiority or pride. He often remained silent when people began to argue with him. He often responded with questions uh, in response to them to get them to think. He often gave them parables or stories. Uh, they would have truth in them about God. Uh, and sometimes he did rebuke them, but mostly that was the religious people. So Hebrews chapter 12 says, Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification or holiness without which no one will see the Lord. 
Colossians 4, 6 says, Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt. That would be Scripture, so that you may know how to answer everyone. We want the Holy Spirit to take control of our conversations, of our Facebook posts, of our attitudes, of our political opinions, of our economical opinions. It doesn't matter. We're going to be silent on the world's argumentative issues and say we're just going to give Scripture. Are you with me? Amen. The world wants to get you in an argument. Don't fall into it, okay? Avoid quarreling with the world. Let's go to number two. He says, be gracious. Be gracious. In verse, chapter 2, verse 11, he says, For the grace appeared, and grace has instructed us. He's saying grace has changed our lives and changed the way we think. And this is so hard to see when you're religious. It's so hard to see when you're caught up in your own understanding and your own perspective and your own I'm right, my opinion, you're wrong. And, and I'm not telling you, we have to have strong doctrine. I'm not saying that. There are some things that are vital truths and fundamental truths. We're going to talk about that in a second. But he says that grace has changed the way I think and grace has changed the way I live. So he's saying our motive for acting this way is the grace of God. He says we once were this way. I once was out. I was lost. I was spending my life in sin. I was hateful. I was hating one another. But when the kindness of God appeared... I know I'm saved not by what I have done. I'm not saved because I believe right. I'm not saved because I have the right doctrinal position. I'm not saved because I did a lot of good things. He saved me while I was still a sinner, having never done anything, having never read the Bible before, having never understood anything, but having heard the Word of God and simply responded to it by faith. And He saved you. you. Now, thank the Lord for that. Now, do we go on and understand more? Do we go on and develop our faith more? Absolutely. Grow in our doctrinal position. Grow in our understanding. Grow in our obedience. Obey the Word of God. But that's not how you're saved. We're saved because of the grace of God. That we're saved by grace, not of works. It's a gift of God. So, how? there is a song we sing uh, often here. It says, when I think about the Lord, how He saved me. What does that do? It should make me the most gracious, benevolent person ever. Because I remember I was saved when I was just like them. I was saved when I was just like them. Romans 12 reminds us to not think of yourself so highly. You know, Barbara Bush just uh, died the other day, and one of her quotes was, don't take yourself so seriously. I like that. Because don't think so highly of yourself. Don't take yourself so seriously. Understand that God's grace has gotten you to where you are, not your own works or abilities. Romans 15, 7 says, Accept one another just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. That means my brothers and sisters in Christ, those who profess Jesus Christ as the Lord of God who's come down in the flesh and He's died on the cross for my sin. He's raised me to new life and He's coming back again that I should accept them and see them like God sees them, that they're beautiful people, that God saved, that he, they were a worth God's son dying for that person. Amen. Amen. Do I see them as that valuable? And so he says, you'll avoid argumenting. You're, you're going to avoid arguing, and, and you're going to be gracious. Grace gives us empathy. It helps me consider others. It gives preference and honor. Grace gives me a compassionate heart. You know what that means? Grace is going to give you a better marriage. Grace is going to give you a better relationship with your family. That's because kindness and humility and meekness and patience all comes out of a graceful heart. It means I'm going to forgive those that I have a reason to complain about. It's not saying you don't have a reason to complain anymore. 
There is going to be a plenty of reasons in marriage to complain about one another. There's going to be plenty of reasons to complain about people in your job, your workplace. But by grace, by grace, I say, Lord, I know that you saved me and I was a pitiful person. So I'm going to give grace to them because you gave grace to me. Amen? Amen. We, we don't have to complain because God's given us grace. He's forgiven us. And he says that grace has caused me to be born again. And that born again experience is a washing of the Holy Spirit over my heart. And it changes me. That grace actually changes me. Some people use grace as an excuse to sin. And Paul says, well, that's not real people who've experienced real grace. It's that grace actually promotes, if you understand the grace of God, if you got a picture of what God had to do to save your soul, it would change you from the core. You'd never be the same again, and you wouldn't want to sin anymore because so much of the grace has been poured out on your life. That's what it is to really know grace. It's not a license to sin. It is a license to worship God and forgive other people as God has forgiven you. Amen? All right, I'm going to get off of grace. All right, number three. He says, do good. Do good. Paul says we're saved by grace, but how do we live a godly life in the wicked age? He says by doing good. We're not to be known by our opinions, uh, but we're to be known by our works. We're not to be known by our doctrinal opinions. We're to be known by the world, by our works. All right? So is our reputation that of a people who do a lot of good on this earth? I love doctrine. I love teaching. I love studying the Bible more than most pastors and most people. I could sit in a room all day, every day, with 10 commentaries in the Bible, I'd be a happy person. I really could. I could do that full time. But am I, what good would that do? What good would that do? It would puff me up in my own knowledge and own ability, and guess what? And I'd get to heaven, I'd realize I didn't know nothing at the end of the day. But he's saying, while you're here, do some good on this earth. Scripture repeatedly says this. He says, repart from evil, do good, seek peace, and pursue it, Psalms 34. Depart from evil is the opposite, is do good. You don't just depart from evil and get saved and sit. I depart from evil and I do something. I do good, right? Because of grace, what he's done for me. He says, I seek peace. I pursue it. I don't just let peace happen. If they get along with me, I'll get along with them. We'll be okay. You don't bother me. I don't bother you. That's not seeking peace. Seeking peace is, how can I serve my brother? How can I mow my neighbor's yard who just, you know, got on to me for my dog walking over there and peeing on his roses? You know, like, how can I do things? I didn't, that didn't actually happen, okay? Uh, how can I do things to serve that annoying neighbor? How can I do things to bless that, uh, you know, nitpicky coworker? How can I put flowers on their desk or, or buy them a new office chair? Do something crazy. Do something radical. Do something overly nice, for somebody and see that God doesn't get the glory. Yeah. All right? So he says, do good. Jesus says, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. See the opposite there. It's not just love them, it's do good with them. It says that God is pleased. Hebrews 13, 16 says, God is pleased when you do good and you share. That's real worship, is doing good to those. It says, finally, Galatians 6, 9, and, and we know you're going to lose heart in doing good, but he says, don't give up. And doing good, you're going to reap a harvest. Just keep on doing good. Why? Because you're a citizen in a heavenly kingdom. Amen. In a foreign country, you're passing through and you are responding to the grace of God on your life. And the grace of God on my life does not want me to get involved in all kinds of petty arguments and disputes and quarrel and be all about my religious position. It's saying, my God, I'm going to heaven. Yeah. Let's have a good time on the way. Right? Okay, <clears throat> the kingdom of God should be made up of a bunch of do-gooders, all right? 
Not to be argumentative, bossy, disagreeable, opinionated, but instead, the Bible says the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. It's goodness, one translation says. The kingdom of God is goodness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Think about this. How many people with a servant's heart are argumentative? Think about it. How many people who are going out and serving other people and have that, that calling to serve, and they're, they're always a helpful person, how many of them have the same attitude of an argumentative person? You don't see it because service begins to weed that out of our hearts, and we become more like our Savior. Amen? All right, number four is the last one. He says, avoid religious disputes. So in the world, we had avoid quarreling. Be gracious, do good, and avoid religious disputes. This is specifically talking about in a community of faith, a fellowship, a church, all right? Churches, especially in our area, are known for disputes. It is a thing. You go down one certain highway in LaSalle Parish, I will not mention it, and there will be 10, maybe church signs all there saying, our church this way, this way, this way, this way, this way. Our church is over here. Our church is big. And then we, who got the bigger sign this year? And who's got the flowers that are prettier? And, and, and it is. It's like we've got street signs fighting for whose church goes where. It's just true. And that's what the world sees. I'm praying God sees that the world begins to see churches uniting together again. Amen. Amen. Yes. All right. And he says, avoid religious disputes. After all, the church should be the most united place in America. Come on. The church should be the most united place in America, all right? After all, the Holy Spirit came when we were in one mind and one accord. That was the birthplace of the church. It was responding to the Word of God, and we got united. So you think about the early church. Even though they were united at that very beginning, they were full of problems because they're people. They were full of divisions. They had all their issues. But here's what we find out in Scripture. That Paul says, even to this early church who had the Holy Spirit, he says, you are to continually root out in the inside of you foolish controversies, strife, and disputes that do not glorify God. Fools are those, the Bible says in Proverbs, who love to give their opinions. But in the church, there are certain things we have to agree to disagree on. But there are also certain things we have to stand true on those fundamental truths. So again, our fundamental truths, our vital truths that we believe there is one God, that He sent His Son Jesus Christ to die on the cross, that He atoned for our sins. And if you confess your sins and repent of your sins and be baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, you're born again, changed from your old man, made all new, that He is coming back for His spotless bride to be raptured in the air, or if you die, that He will resurrect your body and that He will establish His kingdom on the earth. And we believe all that. Amen. That's what it is. And if there are other things that we disagree on that don't promote the unity of fellowship, that don't promote the furthering of His kingdom, we can say, hey, let's just agree to ask God when we get to heaven who's right. And I'll show you why I'm right. No, not really. Uh, We begin to say, look, I love you, and we don't have to... We can have our different denominations. I'm not preaching against denominations. Sometimes denominations are good. Because we can mobilize for mission work. We can establish against false doctrine because there is false doctrine in the world. And Paul's establishing that right here. He says there is going to be false prophets and false teachers coming against to tear your church down. There are people in this world who are going to come against and promote a grace-only doctrine. They're going to promote a works-only doctrine. They're going to promote uh, a hyper-spirituality. They're going to promote all kinds of things. You've got to know the Word. You've got to stand against all those things. But at the same time... We have to be the most agreeable people as a family of God. 
There are a lot of things like the carpet color of churches that should have never split a church. There are many things about the song choice and all the things and what translation of the Bible we preach out of. There's a lot of things in the history of the American church we could say, man, that was a sad day when that happened. And maybe you've been a part of a church, but I've been a part of times where churches have gone their different ways. And we say, Lord, help us, forgive us, because right here Paul says that even though uh, uh, look at Roman, or I'm just saying Romans 15, one says, we who are strong must be considerate of those who are sensitive about things, these minor things, these unvital truths. And we must not please ourselves, but we should help others do what is right and build them up in the Lord. We are all at different levels of maturity and understanding. We all come from different backgrounds and perspectives. And I'm going to respect that so long as we agree on the vital things that you must confess your sin, repent of your sin, receive Jesus Christ in your heart to go to heaven. Amen? That is, that is the thing that when we get to heaven, there is going to be one church under God. That's it. And he's going to figure it out. And I'm confident in that because when I go through the history books and I see that there was the early church that didn't have denominations, and I see that there was, there was all kinds of Protestantism, there was Lutheranism that came out, and then Methodism, and that was a movement, way before the Pentecostal movement ever came out. Many Christians went to heaven. I'm just going to let you know that. I'm a Pentecostal. And before any Pentecostal happened in 1914 in USA, America, Midwestern Kansas, before we ever spoke in tongues in the Midwest, many Christians went to heaven. They did. The Puritans who burned people at the stake for being witches, somehow or another, they're in heaven right now. Most of them probably, you know. I don't know. God will have to judge them, all right? We're not doing that anymore. Thank the Lord. We've grown out of those things, okay? Only on Fridays. No, we, we, we have. There's things that we have to understand. We all don't get it. We don't have perfect knowledge of Scripture. But one thing I do, I can love you. I can agree that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I can say, Lord, help us to further your mission. And if I'm focused on mission, if I'm focused on loving the lost, if I'm focused on doing good works, if I'm responding to the grace of God in my life, Lord, help me in all the things I don't understand. Amen? And I just give my ignorance to God and say, Lord, we're all at different places in our faith. It's a holy process. But what is my opinion? If the Bible has not made it plain, then I should be quick to listen and slow to speak. Amen? Amen. Let us, let's be clear. Paul says in this passage, division in God's church is a sin because Christ is not divided. Amen? Amen. And he says, and, and look what he says at the very end. I'm going to close. He says, those who reject this unity, those who repeatedly tear it apart, those who are com- repeatedly divisive in a church, those who are repeatedly pushing their own opinions or their own nitpicky doctrines or their own religious rules, he says, those people are to be rejected and put out of your fellowship for fear that they would destroy what God is doing among you. Now, are we ready to take that position? Amen? But that's what Paul says. That's how serious unity is in a church that's how serious god sees unity in his church he says give this guy two chances and then put him out if he will not stop being nitpicky and divisive and causing strife and problems in your church you are to put this man out because god is gracious and you're united in the spirit of god and needs to get the glory in your church amen Romans 15, may God who gives us, gives us patience and encouragement, may he help us or help you to live complete harmony with one another as it is fitting for followers of Jesus Christ. And all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you are united with your brothers and sisters across the aisle in your home church, 
God receives the glory. Amen? It's a beautiful thing when there's unity in a church. You will see that church prosper and go places that others never dreamed. And I'm going to give you four things to write down, real quick things to remember this uh, sermon, and we're going to close. Number one, from what we just got tonight, number one, you are not called to give your opinion, but to expand His dominion. Okay? Number one, you are not called to give your opinion, but expand His dominion. Number two, I must remember God's grace gives everyone a place in His church. God's grace gives everyone a place in His church. Now, we have to repent of sin and all that, but it's God's grace that gives everyone a place. Number three, I should be doing more good than gab. You know what gab is? Talking, right? I should be doing more good than gab. And number four, unity is more important than accuracy. To God, unity is more important than accuracy. We believe in strong doctrine. We believe in fighting false doctrine. But the number one doctrine for this is unity. Unity is number one. Amen? Amen. Unity more than accuracy. Unity more than accuracy. Amen. And I believe as we seek first the Holy Spirit to build up His kingdom, He will give us all the doctrine and the right things in the right ways. But uh, God be the glory. Here's what we're going to do tonight. Uh, I'm going to ask Miss T just to come back and play on the piano for a moment. We're just going to spend a moment in prayer. Here's what I felt like. Two things I want you to just begin to pray with us in response to this message. As he says in Titus chapter 3, and it all comes, I, my question is to God after I did this, I was like, God, how do, we, how do we make this happen? Because it's one thing for Pastor Heath to talk about it. It's another thing for us to live it, right? Because I don't have the power sometimes to stop my mouth from arguing with my wife. I, I have to learn that in the Lord. And here's how he says it. It goes back to what he says in chapter 3. He says that he, uh, whom he poured out upon us, he says, he is, uh, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, we have been justified by grace. It is because I'm responding to the grace of God and because the Holy Spirit is washing me, that is a cleansing, a purifying, a renewing. And there are two things I want us to focus on and pray about tonight is this. I need sometimes in my life a continual bigger picture of the grace of God. I want my life to be energetic and response and zealous because I realize that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for Heath Harris. That, that he thought something about me that He would shed His blood and be separate from His Father, that He loved me while I was still a sinner. He would die for me. Even if I never did confess Him, He still would have died in the hopes that I would. That's His love towards me. And if we could just say, Lord, help us to see the grace of God and respond to it. Number one, that's the prayer I want you to pray first. And number two is, Holy Spirit, renew my mind, renew my heart, Wash me clean. Maybe there's argumentative stuff in me. Maybe there's a, I'm an opinionated person. Maybe I'm a bossy person. Maybe I'm a person who, I, I tell you, Heath Harris, before salvation, before the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I could argue the fire out of anything. I could argue about a rock. I mean, it didn't matter. I was that, just that kind of a person. I was right all the time. And uh, I still struggle with being right, you know. Uh, but that's what God has to renew. And I can't change myself. 
I'm powerless to change my flesh. A Holy Spirit is the only one who can change me. Amen? Amen. And so I'm going to ask you to stand with me tonight. And let's just do that. Let's just go to God and say, Lord, we need a bigger picture of your grace. We need a renewal of the Holy Spirit. Help us to be a people of light. Help us to be a people of light that when people see us, they see Jesus.